You're listening to the 123 Show with me, Noreen Mir, on this Friday afternoon. And since it's Friday, it really is my favorite time of the week because we have the Agenda Cafe. And I'd love to welcome back on the program our wonderful co-host, Karen Ko. Karen, how are you doing? Good to see you. Hi, Noreen. I'm great. I'm great this Friday. How are you? Nice to see you too. Yes, and I say see because even though we're not in the same studio, our listeners can also join in and see everybody, all our guests and ourselves uh, on Facebook this afternoon. Noreen Mayer on RTHK Radio 3. Thanks to technology, we've been able to do that uh, during the pandemic. Still the <laughs> pandemic, I have to say. Still. Exactly. So we've got a really great topic uh, this afternoon. We're talking about sober curiosity. Tell us a little bit more about what it's about yeah okay so i hope everybody is curious about sober curiosity so when you um think about it what do we often do on a friday after work we often say hey let's go for a drink and that usually involves going to a bar somewhere uh, or maybe to somebody's house and it usually involves alcohol but um there is a movement it started a couple of years ago in a sort of formal way called sober curiosity and i first heard about it maybe three years ago when i was in the us and the term sober curious was coined by um, an English journalist and editor who's actually living in New York. And she also wrote a book called Sober Curious. And it's all about exploring a life without alcohol. Not because you have a problem, not because you, you know you abuse alcohol or you have a very serious addiction, but more just to see how life can be different without alcohol. And it's something that maybe is not really, really widespread yet, but a lot more people are starting to look at and starting to experiment with. And interestingly, a lot, a lot more young people are, are doing it as well. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're joined by um, our guest to help us talk about this. We have with us Sammy Wilson, who's the founder of Sobermates. And Sobermates, hi Sammy, is an online community which creates easy to digest content to help you explore your relationship with alcohol in a positive light. And Sammy joins us from lockdown in Geelong, Australia. So Sammy, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. And we're also joined by Anna Healy Fenton, who's an addiction and relationships therapist at Counseling Confidential. So hi, Anna. Hi, everybody. And in a moment, we'll also be joined by Beckley Franks. And Beckley is the co-owner of the Pontiac Bar in Central. And she's also the co-owner of an up and coming project um, taking over the drop space in Central. So welcome everybody. And Sam, let me start with you. Maybe first, if you can just sort of introduce yourself, tell us your story and how and why you came to found Sobermates. Yeah, definitely. So I'm Sam. I'm based in Geelong, which is in the south of Australia. And I was probably what you would call a heavy social drinker. And I spent about 18 months deciding whether I wanted to stay a heavy social drinker or to give up um, alcohol for good. And it wasn't until I had a best friend's hens party where I took the night a little bit too far and had a hangover from hell. I had four days of alcohol-induced anxiety and it got to day five and I was like, I'm done. I don't want to wake up like this anymore. So I decided to give myself a break to explore something that I'd never explored before. And I chose to give up alcohol for three months. And I'd explored moderation for like in bits and parts throughout my drinking life. And this is the first time where I was like, okay, I'm going to spend three months 
exploring my mindset around drinking what's my relationship with alcohol you know why why can't I drink like everyone else that's what I thought was the issue and I got six weeks in and I was waking up super happy I was not like I was working with my doctor to decrease my anxiety medication and I just thought why would I want to wake up like this every day so I got six weeks into my three months and I thought this is it and I decided to give up alcohol forever then and there and I thought, okay, what are the next steps? I need to find a community. I'm in my mid-20s. I'm still really social and I still want to continue to be social. So how can I continue to, you know, work on the tools for saying goodbye to alcohol and talk about the issues of being sober um, as a young woman in Australia? And I, there was some wonderful resources in the US and the UK, but nothing that really spoke to Australia's binge drinking culture. So that's where I decided to create Soapmates. And we are an Instagram page where, as Karen was saying, we create easy to digest content. We're just here to help you explore your relationship with alcohol. Um, you know, you can send in questions and we can hopefully answer them for you on our Instagram page. We're not um, an addiction specialist or anything like that. It's more a community just to have a chat about, you know, the pressures that we have in Australian drinking culture and also talk about the wonderful things about being sober as well. Yeah, Sammy, you mentioned anxiety just now. What do you mean by hang? That's anxiety with an with an H at, at the beginning. With an H, yeah. so it's, it's a hangover and anxiety put together. Um, and you have more anxiety when you're hungover. Yeah, yeah. Hi, I'm Beckley, by the way. Beckley's just joined us. Yeah, hi, ladies. I'm so sorry it took me a moment to get here, but it's a pleasure to be here. We're we're on the air now, so Sam is just talking about anxiety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's that feeling, you know, when you had a big night, you might have had too much to drink, where it's you don't want to look at your phone or see what you've posted on social media. And depending on how much you've drank, that may last for the day or it may last a couple of days. And it's about your the chemicals in your brain and, and trying to put that into balance. When we drink, um, it lowers our inhibitions and does chill us out, But what it do- and it also stops the production of anxiety. So that's why you get that really nice um, alcohol buzz when you first start drinking. But what this does is it, it puts an imbalance in your brain. So your brain goes into hyperdrive. It's like, okay, alcohol has blocked the production of anxiety. We're going to boost it up to make it even again. But the brain goes into hyperdrive. So when we're drinking, we're actually inducing this like anxiety that occurs the next day. So um, you pretty much used up all your chill hormones on the Friday night. Oh. No, chill um, chemicals on the Friday night and that's why in the morning you wake up feeling so crappy Um, so that was the main reason that I gave up drinking is that I didn't want to feel like that anymore and it's so nice to know that I'm never going to have a hangover again fingers crossed yeah now um, Sam I grew up in Australia as well way way before you did and so I know what the drinking culture was like back then which was basically drink as much as you can until you fall over What, what is it like today how would you describe it for young people today yeah, I think that um, in Australian culture, it is actually, it is socially acceptable to binge drink um, and to become heavily intoxicated. And our social um, events, like alcohol is the focus when we're thinking of a Friday night, when we're celebrating, when we're feeling bad, whether it's a funeral, a wedding, a birthday, alcohol is the central focus. And I do believe that there is a movement. I think that's why So Mates has done so well in the past year that we are looking at, you know, what are we putting into our bodies? We want to look after our mental health. I think the movement is happening, but it, but it's not there yet. Um, I think alcohol is still so intrinsic to Australian culture today. 
Um, Beckley, let me ask you, you've just joined, welcome. How Hi. would you, I mean, you're a bar owner, you've be, you've been a bar owner for a long time in Hong Kong. How would you describe mm -hmm. Hong Kong's drinking culture? Um, Beckley, before I mean, you answer that question, can you turn your camera uh, landscape? That's better for the for the broadcast. Excellent. Yes. Fabulous. Yes. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, and I apologize ahead of time. I haven't, uh, I just did a tasting for a new venue, so I haven't had a chance to even like prepare myself for this. So um, no Glambot. Um, drinking culture in Hong Kong, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think it is too dissimilar than Australia, since I, I gather that we're talking specifically about Australia. Um, I won't say it's too dissimilar. However, I did uh, briefly have a, a project in Bali um, people drink in Hong Kong a lot. They drink hard. So I'm from the States where we have very strict laws on alcohol, specifically in Oregon. Um, very, very strict laws. So Oregon has what's called the OLCC, which is the Oregon Liquor Control Commission. It's all owned by the state. Um, so you can't, the way everything is done differently. Um, like I have to card every person that comes in. Hong Kong, nobody's carded to see their age at all. Um, you can buy booze at 7-Eleven. And so like, that's a whole thing. Like we call it Club 7-Eleven. Um, you know, the hours in Vegas and New York are similar to the hours in Hong Kong where places stay open till five, six, seven in the morning. Um, so that was an adjustment for me myself. My bar only stays open till five or till 1 a.m. Normally pre-COVID. So that was an adjustment as well. But I will say that you know, just in sympathizing um, with the woman who was speaking before, like when I was in Bali, I very much saw a very aggressive, non-responsible relationship to consumption of alcohol. Now, I'm not trying to be negative by any means, um, but I do see what she's saying when it comes to the Australian culture of drinking. And I don't think that it's for all of Australia because what the running sort of joke is, is that um, only the bad Australians go to Bali. <laughs> <laughs> no, we all do. We all go. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, okay, but you know what I mean? Like, oh, that gives Australians like, don't judge yeah. us by the people that go to Bali. We don't all drink like 10 bottles of Smirnoff from the convenience store and throw ourselves at scooters, but some of them do. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So, I mean, I do see how, I do see how it's very polar. I do see how it can be very polar. Um, and with that comes, you know, in this, in this realm of having a healthier lifestyle, um, and having a healthier lifestyle also is, um, product of having means and connections and access to health. Yeah. And, um, when it, you know, like access to just access to health in, in general, whereas before we haven't had as much access, um, so, yeah, yeah. Beckley, yeah. as a bar owner, have you noticed a, a percentage of people who come to, you know, bars who don't want to drink alcohol? They prefer alcohol-free drinks. Well, what's your impression of that? <laughs> well, so I live in Hong Kong, right? So there's just in the general DNA uh, and the evolution between like in, in Asians, it's hard for them to drink alcohol anyways. Mm. Um, you go red. It's very obvious. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Asian flush. I'm a, I'm the Asian a, flush. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little flushed right now, admittedly, but I just did a taste and nailed it. So whatever. Um, <laughs> nailed that. Um, I'm only going to be as trans transparent as possible because 
I can't always speak for a lot of it. So I would say that our local Asian clientele drink less, um, but that is because of biologically they can't drink as much. Um, now, I would love to say that I don't operate an expat-driven bar, but I do. Um, so I will say that in my venue, people do drink more um, on purpose. They come there for that. It's part of the programming per se. Um, and it's because the drinks are quality. So the way that I develop the program is I want them to enjoy their beverage so that they have more, not to get like absolutely obliterated, but every single thing that goes inside that glass is a very, very high quality. We juice everything. We make every syrup, everything that is inside the bottle. We have a very real relationship with the producer. Um, so in hangovers occur more and you're going to have Oh, my PR is like, you're doing a podcast. Should I push, push it? I'm going to say yes. If you don't mind, ladies. I'm just going to respond to her really quick. Sorry. Ah, I don't know what to do. Crap. Tiana, yes. Carry on, carry on. We're live on air, so. I know, I know, I know. Sorry. Um, so, so would you so say they, a, so a, so a percentage of people? So would you say a percentage of people actually wanted uh, alcohol-free drinks? Because I think a lot of cocktails. No. Okay. Not so not for us, no, but also the and that's why I'm only saying like for us, um, no, they don't. They don't want alcohol or free drinks, but the alcohol that's in their drinks that we make is high quality. So it's not going to give you that same result, if that makes sense. Mm. So in general, and when we're talking about like this crazy, we'll just say the Australian crazy culture of binge drinking, that is not quality product that is. That is stuff that's literally going to very much hurt you and damage you and, and in, you know, increase that anxiety that can, is going can I just, on. Yeah, can I was going to say, let, let's, bring, let's bring Anna yes, in. Yeah. Anna is a, an addiction I, I and relationship say, therapist. I love your idea that there's two types of alcohol. I'm afraid ethanol is ethanol. It doesn't matter how attractively packaged it is. The chemical is the same. It's the same stuff. Well, Anna, I was going to ask you, can you tell us more? I mean, the thing is, usually when we start drinking, it's something that's either introduced through friends, um, you know, whether it's school or university, maybe the first time you drink is at a family function, at a wedding or something like that. Um, and most people aren't really educated about alcohol before they mm -hmm. drink it. Um, mm -hmm. It's seen as something that you have to have fun, but can you tell us more about what are the actual sort of physical and also mental, mental and emotional impacts that alcohol has on our bodies? Sure. Um, alcohol is a, a primary carcinogen toxic substance, right? The same stuff, it's the same stuff that you put on your hands to kill COVID, remember? That's the same stuff. It's a germicide and it's used to as a cleanser and we use ethanol, which is the chemical that we put in uh, most alcohol products. Uh, is the intoxicating part, which Sani referred to very accurately. Now, what that does is uh, cause a chemical imbalance in the brain. Now, if we're talking um, how does it affect us, we don't become alcohol dependent overnight. It takes 10, 15, sometimes 20 years. But all of us, I would say, have the experience of hating our first encounter with alcohol. I remember the first time I tasted my dad's whiskey, uh, it nearly burned the back of my throat off. But remember, it's, it's attractively packaged poison. And so we are subjected to millions and millions of advertising dollars 
all tied into image, identity, lifestyle, ego, massaging, to tell us that it's a, a life-enhancing product. So we're super conditioned to that. So even though our first encounter with alcohol is usually tastes horrible and we're often, you know, the body's first reaction to a toxin is to, as any late night taxi driver will tell you, is to expel it. And that's what most of us do. We get very drunk the first time and throw up and feel terrible. But you know what? The social pressure is so immense that we keep doing it. Until mm. sooner or later we tell ourselves that if it's more exotically packaged and comes from Bordeaux and is a, a Grand Cru, that it's better than, than you know, the, the cheapest kind of cider. Sorry, folks, it's the same stuff. It's just with social conditioning, we, we come to believe that it's going to make our lives better. And how about the association of alcohol with fun? I mean, that when you th talk to any university student, um, especially in the US where the drinking laws are much stricter, usually the first thing, you know, they say is, oh, I can't wait till I turn 21 and I can drink because that's seen as fun. W where does that whole history come from? Marketing, again, um, it, it's just the way it's sold to us. We're, we're sold the idea that, uh, you know, we'll be sexier, we'll be funnier, we'll, we'll have confidence, we'll be able to dance if we drink. Now, when we're sober, we know that the most unsexy thing on the planet is a slobbery drunk. Uh, and the only person who finds a drunk attractive is another drunk, usually. Uh, but, you know, social hypnosis is, is phenomenal around alcohol. Um, we, we've just we've just fallen for it and believe that it will somehow uh, a drug that affects us and makes us chemically impaired, makes us unable to make decisions, stays in our body for 48 hours, during which time we should not try to make decisions because we are impaired. Our judgment is completely off whack. It takes up to two weeks for a drink to clear your system properly. It's, two weeks? It's a heavy yeah, it's a heavy duty toxin. Now, in the first 48 hours, you will have two dips. So uh, where you'll feel anxiety. Now, in many ways, the fact that you drink creates the need for the drink the next day. Because if you say drink at cocktail hour at six o'clock on Monday, by the Tuesday, the first dip in the 48 hours will occur. And that's called withdrawal, which is called craving. So as the alcohol level drops inside your body, your brain will go, oh, levels are dropping. What do I need? Another, another drink. And that's the point at which you think, oh, I really fancy a drink also called hair of the dog, if you've had a hair of the dog, before. yes. Mm. This is withdrawal. It's not very glamorous, and it leads to craving the next drink. So you set up the desire for Tuesday's drink by having one on Monday, if that mm. makes sense. And that's the, the squirrel cage. That's how you yeah. get hooked into every day predicts the fact that tomorrow you'll want another one because you don't feel good because you feel anxious and stressed because of the effect of the alcohol the day before. So actually having a drink to relieve stress is kind of a, a myth. The it's a catch-22. Yeah, it's catch yeah. a backwards way to do it. <laughs> the catch-22 negative feedback loop, yeah. Absolutely. Well, well, we'll continue to explore this topic, uh, a sober curiosity, this afternoon on the Agenda Cafe with Anna and also Sammy. And we hope to be joined by Beck with, with Beckley. Beckley's here. Oh, uh, is she? Yes, She's still there. Oh, yes. That, okay, there, there she is. Okay, yes. And, and um, we'll, we'll hear more about that uh, after the 2.30 news. Um, we'll, we'll quickly break for the weather forecast. Um, for our listeners on Facebook, continue to stay there. Uh, the broadcast for the news will only be 30 seconds. So we'll be back uh, with the Agenda Cafe after that. 
Welcome back. You're listening to the Agenda Cafe this afternoon with me, Karen Ko, and Noreen Nia. And uh, today we are talking about sober curiosity and, you know, which you could really call exploring a life without alcohol. And we have three guests joining us. Sammy Wilson, who's the founder of Sober Mates, who's joining us from Geelong in Australia. Anna Healy Fenton, addiction and relationships therapist at Counseling Confidential, and Beckley Franks, who's co-owner of the Pontiac Bar in Central. So before the break, um, Anna was talking a bit about the physiology and the effects of, of alcohol and also the social aspect. So Sam, picking up with you, you're a young person. Um, you just gave up drinking quite recently. How did you find coping with peer pressure to to drink and how did that affect your your decisions yeah I think it um affected it a lot more before I even gave up drinking I spent 18 months toying with the idea of do I give up drinking or do I not I actually I didn't think there was an option to go sober in Australia um I was 26 at the time I was the and I still am um I was the organizer of all my social groups so whenever we caught up I was organising the winery tours, which bars and restaurants were going to. And it wasn't until I stepped back and started to question my drinking. I was like, well, like everything that we do is associated with alcohol. Alcohol is always the centre focus. And um, it wasn't until that I realised that alcohol wasn't having the best effect on me was when I decided to take that break from alcohol. Um, But that I realised that I was that person that was pressuring others to drink. And and that was more on me than them. I would watch friends that would come out with me and would have a night out dancing and, and drinking and they'd have one or two or, or not have any at all. And I'd like, just have one, just have one. And I, it's because I didn't get that they could go out and have a good time without drinking. I thought, why, why do they, you know, how do they do it? I didn't get it. And it wasn't until I stepped back and started to explore my relationship with alcohol that I realised I don't need alcohol. I'm an extrovert. I love people. Um, I never, I never drank for confidence. So I'm lucky in that aspect, but I did drink for that, the social aspect to, to fit in. And um, just because it is so embedded in Australian culture, I think that it's, you've got to realize that if I'm giving up drinking, it's purely a decision for me. And it was not the easiest choice to make, but it was the simplest choice to make for my mental health. Mm. Well, now I was going to say, um, did you worry about your, you not being able to have fun if you weren't drinking? Yeah. So in Australia, and I, th- I think it's, it, um, is brought in most cultures when you think of teetotalers or people being, uh, sober that you think of them as being boring and not so much, not fun. And I did think that too, which I'm a total hypocrite and done a 180 on that. Um, but I just thought, you know, why don't you want to join in with everyone else? And it wasn't until that. I worked out that I don't need to take a drug to enjoy time with my friends. And when I decided to have that three month break from alcohol that turned out to be forever, um, five weeks into it was my best mate's wedding. And a lot of people were saying, you know, you won't get to have a champagne with her on her wedding day. And I just thought if I can't have a, a good fun day at my best friend's wedding while being sober, then there's there's an issue with me. It's not alcohol. There's something wrong with me in a sense that I can't give joy to my friend on a on a you know one of the best days of her life. So um, yeah, it, it's I think it's a lot to do with mindset. It's a lot to do with conditioning. Um, it's a lot to do with marketing. As um, as we were saying earlier, it's it's brought up in this culture that you know having a good night out is having 
beers with mates or getting on the wines and things like that. It's not until you realise, you know, if you're going to the footy with the boys and you're drinking beer, you don't leave the footy match or, or wake up the next day in your group message and be like, oh, like, how good was this mid-strength beer we had? We're like, no, how good was the game? How good was the kicking? How good was my team? No one comments on, on the shitty beer they had at the <laughs> venue. So, um, I think it, it is about working out when we're going out to socialise, what are we going there for? For me, it's it's for connections with my friends. It's, I've got such deep connections with my mates now. Like when I catch up with them, it's really ask like, how are they going? We, we talk about deeper things. We have a, a stronger relationship than we've had before. And um, I don't think I've lost many friends, but those that I had were people that I would only drink with. And they're not my people when I'm sober because we've just got nothing in common. We, we drank and we partied hard together and, and that was one part of my life that happened. Um, but, you know, I think friendships have seasons and that season ended for me. I still um, I still party. Um, if you follow uh, my personal account on Instagram, you'll see that I still I still club, I still dance till two in the morning. I just do it. I'm holding a soda water in my hand instead. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to ask um, Anna as well. I mean, what's the difference between somebody who is, uh, what's the difference between sobriety and also uh, sober, uh, sober curiosity? Are there some people who are sort of addicted to alcohol and are these the type of people who are not addicted? I mean, what's your understanding of this? Well, alcohol is an addictive toxin. That That's just what it is, right? So um, nobody gets to be an alcoholic overnight, but if you work at it long enough, you will cause sufficient damage to your liver, which is the, the organ concerned, that you'll become what's called alcohol dependent. Now, that will happen to you. Uh, but there are some people who can take it or leave it. There are some people who are quite happy to have a few drinks yeah. and call it a night and they can walk away from it. Lucky, lucky them. They are the envy of the rest of us. Um, but for most people, it's a continuum. You know, it starts with experimentation, like any drug, use, overuse, abuse, and then you become addicted. And at that point, with alcohol, you literally turn from being a cucumber into a pickle, and you ain't going back. You know, the pickle is not, no matter what you do to it, going to turn back into a cucumber. Now, those people, when they've crossed the line, they, they now have a problem drinking or a uh, alcohol use disorder, as it's called. Now, the trouble with these people is it's called the silent killer because your liver is a very forgiving organ and it has no nerve endings in it, so you're not able to feel it getting bigger and bigger. Now, think of the people you know. You see particularly guys who appear to be pregnant but very high up. Uh, it's sort of up at the top of their rib cage. They're bulging out. That's an enlarged liver, and the rest of them may be quite skinny, but that's what advanced alcohol damage does to you. And until it gets, the liver gets so big that it's pressing on your other internal organs, you don't feel anything. Now, most people think to themselves, oh, I could just go my whole life and not really have a problem. I could stop it just before I had a problem. But unfortunately, because you can't feel it, and because you tend to surround yourself with a social group of people who do exactly the same thing as you. So if you're a heavy drinker, you will surround yourself with people who drink the same amount as you. So the kind of group culture is to just keep drinking at that level mm. and in hong kong we have a very sneaky thing here called functioning alcoholism which is another word for top up drinking and what that means is you might see people who have a skinful on the weekend maybe on the junk trip or whatever now remember alcohol stays in your system for 48 hours so if you have a lot of alcohol on sunday night and saturday monday night your level's dropping 
you have two drinks, you top it up again. Wednesday, the same thing, you top it up again. So you can actually be almost a little bit drunk all week, but nobody notices because that's the way you are always. And those are the really sneaky ones. And unfortunately, they delude themselves that they haven't got a problem because, oh, well, I only have two drinks during the week. And then on the weekend, well, it's the weekend. Very Hong Kong thing. But sadly, a lot of them, and not all of them, but a lot of them will end up in trouble because about 15% of us are going to have the ism, are going to become alcoholics. So there's no such thing as moderate drinking, I'm afraid. It, so it's... So there's no it, such it, thing as, as drinking responsibly as... No, you know, <laughs> well, I, I want to bring Beckley... You play, you play Russian roulette with your life. I, I want to bring Beckley back into the discussion. I mean, Beckley, you, you own a bar. I mean, how many pickles and how many cucumbers do you come across in, in, in the bar? I mean, how many people are the regular punters <laughs> who, are, who are, you know, drunk all the time and who, who are sort of new faces who can take it or leave it? I mean, what's your observation, Beckley? Um, I mean, first of all, everything that she's saying is obviously incredibly accurate. Um, this is my chosen profession, but my relationship with it is about people, um, and giving people uh, a place to be themselves and home. But there's no, there's no two ways about it that like there, I see and witness a gregarious amount of alcoholism. Um, so there are your day-to-day punters and there are people that go on their hikes every day and wake up and go to, to work every day and go to the gym and lead, lead very healthy lifestyles and then also put it to the metal and drink a lot of alcohol. How do they um, do and it? I, I mean, I, I don't have the biological qualifications I'm afraid it oh, looks like we've got a signal problem. Yeah, I think we've got a signal problem. Everything is it just my signal or is it everybody no, else's I, signal as I, well? Okay. Can you guys not hear me? Oh, now you're back. Yes, now you're back. Everything okay, just sort of went sorry. slow motion. Yes, exactly. You're back. Oh. Yes, yeah, sorry. Go on. Okay. Um, yeah. So I mean, like in the in the qualifications of like if it's just that white and black. So if like. As she's saying, you know, if you if you consume alcohol, then you basically like are lying to yourself and about not having an alcohol problem or that, that there is no such thing as moderate drinking. If that's the perspective of which we're looking at it and that's the lens, then there's no debating it. There's no debating facts. Um, and if that's the conversation we're having, then that's the conversation we're having. We're having a conversation of like, OK, well, if you choose to consume alcohol, um, what are some tools for um, living a quality, healthy lifestyle? Um, that works for you to make, you know, so you find yourself in a happy place. Um, for the other young lady who's speaking, like her happy place isn't drinking and she knows that. And it takes a lot to get to the point where you know that and you feel comfortable and secure enough to take, to take that on because the social pressures, of course, are very real. Of course. Yeah. What you, about, you, I mean, you're a business owner, Beckley, and, and, and you sell alcohol, and that's sort mm-hmm. of the happy place for, for, for many of your clients. What about mm-hmm. that point that, you know, about sober curiosity, where people just want a safe space, like a bar, to, to, to socialize and to have fun without, with alcohol free uh, alcohol? It, it, could that work in a place like Hong Kong? There is no such thing as alcohol free alcohol. Okay. Um, or like, you know, um, very... <laughs> I mean, but, 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 but I think that you just, like, but I mean, alcohol-free drinks. Oh, alcohol-free <laughs> yes. drinks. Sorry, big your pun. 
Um, no, 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 it's quite all right. It's quite all right. Um, it's also a safe place for that as well. And we encourage and condone. Um, we don't, um, we don't shame for not taking a drink. We don't, we don't, we don't shame, period. Um, just if anybody knows anything about Pontiac, we are as inclusive as possible and we encourage, um, independence and, uh, you know, making decisions that are right for yourself. And so Pontiac, just to be specific, because I can't speak for other venues, is a place where we on the menu showcase that there are um, alcohol-free options and anything that we make. We don't bat a single eye if somebody asks for something with um, low to no, which is a very large, real movement. Um, and then I also sent you a link to one of my very dear friends, Camille Vidal, um, who used to be the global brand ambassador for St. Germain, which is a low-proof um, elderflower spirit. Anyways, she spent her entire career going around the world drinking. Um, and that is a very, very hard job. Um, and she is taking an initiative upon herself to decrease the amount of alcohol, to focus on her mental and physical health. Um, and she has found her balance. Um, so if you'd like to share the link that I sent with you and then also the blurb um, from one of her posts. Um, and it's everybody's relationship with themselves, you know, and I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, yeah. I hear, I hear that actually there are quite a few Hong Kong bartenders who don't drink because they're the most famous. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this goes back to what I was saying before. So, you know, like a lot of, you know, local Asian, um, you know, patrons don't drink that much. You know, they enjoy it, but they physically can't. Um, probably the most well-known bar owner and bartender in Hong Kong, his name is Antonio Lai. He's a very dear friend and he's just, we're so... We owe so much to the progression of uh, the cocktail and hospitality community to all of his efforts. And he doesn't drink at all. And it's not necessarily because he doesn't want to. It's because he quite literally cannot. Like, he can't have any alcohol. And it's not just the flush. He will, like... He's allergic to it. He's he's hardcore yeah. allergic to it. Wow. And he'll, like, yeah, and he'll, like, pass out or get sick and stuff like that. Um, a lot of bartenders, I mean, like, it's... It's also so hard on our body what we do. So like being healthy and being strong and being mentally capable is it is a focal point. And then going back to it, speaking specifically with my girls, that like physical and mental, emotional um, structure and security is something that we constantly work on together all of the time. Yeah. And Beckley, are you finding there are more customers in Hong Kong who are asking for non-alcoholic choices? Like they're, you know, they're interested in the mocktails. They, they're asking for non-alcoholic beers. What, what are the non-drinkers drinking? Non-alcoholic beers, not so much. But I mean, there is the, the mocktail movement is very, very real. In fact, my wife owns a mocktail company. Um, she has a company out of London. I know we're talking about Hong Kong, but I'm just saying on a global scale. Like I'm, I'm, she's literally develops like in a lab, um, mocktails to make for, cool. the, for commercial sale. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd be happy to connect you with her as well. And her, um, her mocktail company called mocktail is bottled mocktails. Um, so that's, I mean, like, like very sincerely last night I had a red wine that she created that tastes exactly like red wine. And I mean, from the body, from the aromatics, like everything about it. It tastes like a Shiraz and there's zero, zero alcohol in it. Um, so I 100% can tell you from Hong Kong and on a global scale that people want the experience. Now, here's the other thing is like 
when it comes to the reason why like a company like Seedlip is so successful mm-hmm. or uh, like Lions and stuff like that, which you can see all over commercially in the Hong Kong market, is it goes back to shame might not necessarily be the right word, but people want to be able to go to a bar and order a drink This in the same way. You know, they want to be like, that's why Seedlip works. And I think that you are probably all familiar with Seedlip, yeah. um, which is not an alcohol but it is still a distillate because it is distilled um so there's verbiage on that but whatever um regardless um but they want to be able to order a sea lip and tonic or mm-hmm. like a seed lip gimlet you know what i'm saying so it so the experience isn't taken from them because they choose not to uh imbibe yeah well, imbibe think, with alcohol yeah sorry go on sammy really yeah, so I think it's a really important um, point to make. I went to a bar last night. They launched their alcohol-free menu, um, and they had cool. a number of wonderful mocktails and all different um, Australian alcohol-free brands on their menu, which is great to see. And I think that's an important point to make is if we're accepting people to be sober in our society, then we've got to give us options. Uh, just because I'm sober does not mean I do not socialise. It doesn't mean I party any less than anyone else, but I, I need options when I go out. And, and that's yeah. something that I'm working with bars that um, that are my locals to, to try different mocktails and, and to add it to their menu. Because if they don't have an option for me, I, requ- I request a soda water with lime and I request it in a wine glass because of the social conditioning and marketing <laughs> that's been put on me. May I please? I, oh, yeah. yeah I have such it's it, like it just just incomplete and like with a full heart and empathy like so just my wife does drink she owns bars as well but she also doesn't drink a lot of the time um because she chooses what's best for her and her mental and physical health and so forth and like part of the service last night um is i had a tequila soda and they brought her out a wine glass and poured her ice cold water in it and yeah, they were like, just for the experience you know I mean? of having a wine for glass. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and she's, yeah. yeah. It's a romantic feeling of holding a wine glass. I wish right. I didn't have that cultural and social conditioning that a wine glass yeah. feels nice in my hand, but it does. Yeah. And it does. If, I, if you're not going to offer me a nice mocktail that I will happily pay for, then I will get a soda water and I will request it to be in a wine glass. And it's beautiful now, my friends, when we go out together, like, Sam, what do you want? I'm like, well, the only option is soda water. But they know to request it in a wine glass for me too, which is um, which is absolutely gorgeous and good fun. Yeah, yeah. and it's something small, but it's, it's meaningful. Yeah. Because it, it yeah. lets you still be part of the social scene and exactly. feel like uh, I'm not a, I'm not the outlier or I'm not sticking out like a sore thumb. Yeah, absolutely. And, and oh, please, no, just no, to carry. Gonna... <laughs> you really go this time. <laughs> okay, okay, I got okay. But I think it's it's this. Yeah, it's, it's making it more socially acceptable. Most of my friends um, do drink, and if they've got four girls, they're all drinking wine in wine glasses. Then I want to yeah feel a part of that as well. Um, Sam, one thing I also wanted to ask you about, since you're you're the youngest one here, what about dating? Because so yeah. much of dating revolves around or can revolve around drinking, which is yeah. probably not a good combination, actually. No. Um, how do you navigate uh, that? Yeah, so pre-Sober um, Sam, where most first dates were at a bar, and um, if the date was going well, then we'd bar hop. If the date wasn't going well, we'd bar hop to make the night <laughs> So um, it's it's been a big change for me. I went through a a breakup during COVID last year and I've 
dabbled in and out of dating apps and most recently and this may change again is that with the app that I was on you could say whether you drink sometimes always or never and I have removed that at all I don't show that I never drink and that's purely because of the judgments that we do receive and it's the judgments Mm -hmm. that I had as well I I know I'm a good person but when I was drinking I would judge someone for not drinking it doesn't make me a bad person it was just that social conditioning that I have so on my profiles now I don't show that I'm sober just because I don't want those first judgments but as soon as we start chatting and we're organizing a date I'll be like hey um, I'm happy to go to a bar I don't feel triggered in any sense um, from that but I'll let them know like if we're going to bar just let you know I don't drink majority have been really good about it which has been surprising Um, I've dated a a little bit in the last few months and everyone that I've dated has been okay with it Um, one guy that I went on a date with we went to my my favorite bar and I ordered a mocktail and he ordered a water and I was like you can drink it's fine so he ended up ordering a cider and it wasn't until we started having a conversation I was like you know I'm I'm fine with it if you drink it doesn't doesn't worry me at all like at all and from his perspective which is something that I hadn't thought about is well he was like oh I don't know the reason why you don't drink and it's that um, it's when what we think about alcoholics is that rock bottom moment. It's the homeless person drinking out of a paper bag on the sidewalk. I think that's where our mind goes straight away. So when we when we hear that someone's sober, we're like, oh, something bad must have happened. And for me, that wasn't the case. It was just that I needed to look after my mental health. I couldn't handle the hang hangovers anymore. So I decided to give it up. Um, but yeah, I'm still comfortable going to bars and everything like that. And it's, it's something that I've got to be cautious of when I'm dating is that they don't know my story. Um, my story is pretty public now with sober mates, but if they haven't Googled me, they don't know why I haven't stopped drinking. And it's, it's something that I do keep in mind. And, um, you know, when I'm talking to other sober people as you know, and they they may not be as comfortable telling their story just yet. I think that, um, you know, we really do have to work on our judgment around people and, and understanding that they're just making a choice for them. And, and if it does reflect on what you're doing, that's something that you need to think about yourself, not put onto that person that said, hey, I'm not drinking tonight. Yeah, very quickly, I want to uh, sort of I ask just, Anna. Um, yeah, sorry, go on, Anna. Yeah, can I just, interesting what you say, Sam, I see it a, a little bit like the vegetarian meat eating argument. It used to be a big deal, but increasingly yes. less and less. Yeah, you know, yep. and it's very much in my experience is how you show up and whether you're relaxed about it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I find with clients, if the, the ones who are too scared to tell their friends that they don't drink um, have a real problem. But if they just say, you know what, I'm taking a break from drinking or I've, I've quit, you know, and just yeah. say it. That it, stops, it, stop, it stops being interesting after about five minutes. It, it does. It's not that interesting. It's like, I don't like hangovers. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Hangovers are shit. Like, I understand why you gave it up. But, um, my fr- yeah, I think... Yeah. Sorry, my I friend Allison exactly. did the exact same thing. My friend Allison, um, you know, she used to be just a casual drinker or, like, you know, stuff like that. Not even, you know, drink wine with friends or, like, wine at dinner, stuff like that. Like, in no way, shape, or form, like, uh, going to the bar all the time, like, anything like that. Um, and she just started... Um, like having little declarations or like anytime we would go to dinner or like meet up with friends, she'd be like, Oh, like, can I have a non-alcoholic or just by the way, I'm still not drinking and stuff. And I was cooking dinner at her house a few months ago. And I was like, why don't you just say you don't drink, babe? And she was just like, 
you know, I just, it causes less controversy if I just say I'm like taking a break Mm. instead of saying like, I don't drink and like, and letting it be that, you know? Um, And I think, I think that some of the shaming is other people's insecurity. Because if somebody, yeah. 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 And maybe we're still not there yet in Hong Kong because it is still such a, such a drinking culture. So it's harder to to say, oh, I don't drink because, you know, it's better to say, oh, I have to go for a run in the morning or (laughs) I have, you know, there's people always coming up with, with excuses. Um, Sam, I just wanted to ask you as well, you know, you started Sober Mates on Instagram. So what kind of response have you had to that? And has ha, have there been any surprises? Yeah, so I started Mates when I was six weeks sober. And I started because I was looking for a community, but I was also feeling that good. And I was like, I'm going to start posting this on my personal profile and everyone's going to be, it's like, you know, when you go vegan and you need to tell everyone about it. That's how I felt about my sobriety. So I was like, I need to make Mates keep it separate from my personal profile for the time being. And... To be honest, I, I didn't think it would get the uptake that it had. I, to be honest, I didn't think Australia was ready for a sober curious movement. Um, I thought I was a couple of years too early. And it really kicked off the um, panels and articles and, and the things that have happened since I've created it has been um, amazing in the sense of media, but also the messages that we get that um, people are thanking me for, for creating something that's a space for people to have this conversation. I think nowadays people are more cautious about what they're putting into their bodies and we do want to look after our mental health, I think, more than we have ever before. So, um, yeah, it, like I was surprised with how, how the uptake took, but very, very happy, of course. But it, like, there, is, there is a movement happening. Um, it's slow, but I think people are becoming more welcoming to the idea of becoming sober curious and... The way um, Sobmates sees, so we we mark, we say that, you know, our community is for the sober and sober curious. So sober is meaning you don't drink and sober curious is meaning you have the option to um, say no to a drink on, on certain nights or for certain periods of your life, that you're exploring your relationship with alcohol, that you may not be ready to become sober yet or ever, but you're, um, you know, you're happy to experiment with it and enjoy the health benefits that it does bring. Um, millennials, I, sorry, go on, Beckley. Well, just so I'm looking at your Instagram right now, and I really just like have so much time and appreciation for the rewarding. Uh, we provide resources and support to help you explore your relationship with alcohol and decide what is right for you. And I think it's really, I think that it's really cool that you're creating um, resources and tools. So I think that that's part of it as well. It's like not everybody and not everybody wants to become no alcohol at all or like quit lit or anything like that. But like, but, but also in finding their balance, it's like, it's, I think this is an interesting platform that has a lot of, a lot of real room because providing tools that make them feel secure, which they shouldn't have to, obviously, I think we're all in agreement on that, but providing Mm -hmm. tools um, just like any tools that we need to, to get, you know, we need to cope with anything, right. To build yeah. and to cope is, you know, I think that that's really impactful and important. Um, cause Thank you can, you. yeah, yeah. And I, I think that there's a lot of space for that. Yeah. I think that, um, as you said, we shouldn't need to know, have these tools, but we do at the moment. And it's my goal for sober mates to become irrelevant that we shouldn't need a community to go to to talk about this, that it should just be okay in our culture. And Mm -hmm. we're not there yet, but, um, yeah, hopefully one day we will be.
Yeah, I'm afraid we're out of time this afternoon, but I'd really like to thank all our wonderful guests this afternoon for talking about Sober Curious. I'd like to say a big thank you to Sammy Wilson, who is the founder of Sober Mates, which is an online community that creates easy-to-digest content to help you explore relationships uh, with alcohol in a positive light. And also to uh, Anna Healy Fenton, who's an addiction and relationship therapist at Counseling Confidential, along with Beckley Franks, who's the co-owner of Pontec Bar in Central and also co-owner of an upcoming project of a new project in Central. And also many thanks to you, Karen, for joining us this afternoon on the Agenda Cafe. Have a great weekend, everyone. And um, make good choices, whether you have a drink or not. That is your choice. (laughs) Respectfully yours. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you very much indeed. Thanks, guys. See ya. Bye. Bye.